Hey, welcome back. Gil Perot here. So I think deconditioning is one of the most underappreciated causes of morbidity and mortality that I see in the hospital. You know, we see so many people that end up with hip fractures, humerus fractures, all kinds of falls. They can't get off the floor. They can't get out of bed. They have skin breakdown. And really what a lot of those people have is sarcopenia, meaning they have loss of muscular mass and strength, especially in striated muscles. And this lecture today is really not for those people because what I'm going to be talking about is much too intense for somebody who is already in that condition. When I talk about building muscle today, what I'm really discussing is a preventative so you don't get into those situations later in life. So this is really for people whose health is good and want to avoid conditions like sarcopenia as their life progresses. Now, there were many reasons I became a certified personal trainer several years ago, but one of them wasn't to charge for training sessions or advice, since I have never done that so far, unless you count the advice thrown in while seeing patients who are there for other reasons and a discussion of exercise is warranted. I provide tons of advice to friends, which often is a two-way conversation since some of my friends are into fitness and they drop the knowledge on me. I send friends, family, and patients to certified personal trainers and periodically hire them for myself, particularly if I'm in a plateau. And I assure you many of them are worth every dollar. I became a certified personal trainer because I wanted to know more for my own training needs I also wanted to be able to advise patients accurately about exercise and because I am fascinated by what the human body can achieve with the right knowledge and motivation. Now, any conversation about this stuff raises the question of performance-enhancing drugs like steroids, and I will tell you that what you can achieve without them is amazing. Now, what you can achieve with them is pretty amazing too, but I have never used illegal supplements, so I do supplement legally and I believe safely, and that's a whole different topic, though I will talk about protein a little bit in this discussion. Now, friends sometimes ask me if I use steroids, and since I have not and don't, I am flattered by the question. Now, ladies, if someone asks you if they are real and they are, just be flattered. Maybe it's different for women because they often get a lot of attention for their looks, but I am flattered by compliments because it's taken years of consistency to attain. Now, I do care for several bodybuilders that illegally supplement, though I don't supply them the performance-enhancing drugs, but they know they can trust me to care for them well. And by the way, those colleagues out there who don't understand that, you need to check your biases. Do you tell models frequently tanning or rich housewives that went on numerous beach vacations that you can't care for their skin cancer? Do you tell smokers you won't treat COPD or cancer? Do you tell motorcyclists and football players you won't treat their trauma? Now, I know that the endocrinology of performance-enhancing drugs is complex, equal to the complexity of diabetes, if not more so. So, Politely saying you are not qualified and sending bodybuilders to a limited number of doctors that have an interest in what these men and women are doing is fine, but judging them is wrong. And while these performance-enhancing drugs can be dangerous and lead to 
cholesterol problems, elevated liver function tests, even liver failure, polycythemia. You know, that's usually what these guys and gals are going to you for. They're trying to figure out if they're having any damage to their bodies, which you can't always just pick up on lab tests and exam. So you do have to explain to them that you could still have sudden issues that you don't foresee. But the number of these people who eventually have ended up with me as their care provider, they tell me they've been to two or three doctors that made them feel really low about who they are as people and said, I don't want anything to do with you as a patient. And a lot of them also end up just checking their labs at these places where you can go get your labs drawn and pay out of pocket. And they're the ones trying to determine what their HDL level means or if their LFTs are a little elevated, what does it mean? But again, that's a whole different topic. So we're really going to be talking about how you naturally put on muscle and do it safely. And in natural bodybuilding, you set goals, you achieve them, and then set higher goals. You only find out limits after you push yourself to achieve them. And it is amazing what people can accomplish. The sport and science of muscle sculpting fiercely acknowledges that the one place we all live in is our body. Building strength and muscle takes commitment, but can become a very invigorating lifestyle if done safely and rationally. Now, let's face it. Few people achieve toned physiques after the arthritis has set in. More important than aesthetics is preventing unhealthy conditions like arthritis and other diseases. I'm inspired by young bodybuilders who achieve extraordinary results. I am just as inspired by many who are considered middle age or older, yet remain in terrific shape because they refuse to let aging become synonymous with rapid degeneration. There are those that make excuses and those that make progress. It's a choice, people. Gyms are filled with people who won't accept being average. Now, if you decided today that you want to build more muscle, would you know what to do? Just going to the gym would be a start. However, if you are serious about it, here are some tips you can use based on years of research in and out of the gym. I started using these techniques in my 30s, and while I'm proud of my achievements, I wish I had known about these fundamentals in my 20s. As we learn with most things, it's still better to start late than to never start at all. So my first tip, pretty basic. Even if you lack motivation in the beginning, get those workouts done anyway. This is a hump newcomers must get over. Negativity towards something that initially feels bad is a natural reaction. Many people do experience increased fatigue during the first weeks, but that promptly reverses. Soon you will notice more stamina, not only for exercise, you'll also have extra zest during everyday situations. Within weeks, the gym will become something your body craves. Your mind will crave that hour of distraction from life's difficulties. When you walk through the front doors of the fitness center, a Pavlovian response will boost endorphins and adrenaline. The gym becomes your drug. Now, warning, you may find yourself limiting sedentary addictions like television when you become a health junkie, and that's a great thing. Doors that no longer lead anywhere good are worth closing. Exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant out there. 
Okay, my second tip is this. If you want to prosper, go to failure. This is a rule nearly every person who has built a muscular body cyclically follows. If you want to build muscle, you must fatigue the muscle with heavier weight, more repetitions, more sets, and diversity. If you don't recruit all the fibers of a muscle, those unstimulated fibers will not hypertrophy. People love to argue which specific exercises are best, but the biggest factor influencing strength and muscle building is intensity. Utilize good form. Sacrificing form just to momentarily look powerful with big weights can destroy your joints. Gyms are filled with guys lifting heavy, but with proper form, they would have the same muscle benefit with much less weight. The ego may not like less weight, but your body will thank you for decades to come. Now, when a set becomes easy to finish, that muscle has not been put under enough stress to get serious results. You have to overwork the muscle to see it grow. Bodybuilding is equal parts mental conviction and physical performance. Taking the muscle to failure to the point you can't possibly do another repetition, that is when you will see the payoff you are looking for. Don't aim for failure on the first set or even the second set. Do some warm-up sets and then go to failure with your final sets. Now, there will be days that if you want to make it count, you may have to stop counting. A useful tip for achieving success is to initially stop counting the reps in each set. Achieving a particular number of reps is not the goal. Simply lift until the muscle cannot do another rep and you'll have taken that muscle to failure. Now, to get that last forced repetition, use a spotter or utilize a machine. Never go to failure with free weights without a spotter or you risk injury. So in summary, embrace intensity, work the muscle, not the ego. My third tip is prepare your connective tissue to go to failure. Before the heavy lifting begins, the body needs to adapt for at least a month or longer to resistance training. Training smart is better than going heavy before you're ready. Initially, use lighter weight with higher reps at moderate intensity. Taking muscles to failure with shorter sets as a newbie is a mistake. Putting such a huge stress on tendons and ligaments too quickly may result in injury. Your nervous system also has to have time to adapt. Prepare your body for what is to come. Smart people don't run marathons their first race. Most runners first try a 5K, and then they do a 10K. Respect the gym in the same way. Progression happens quickly during the initial year of weight training. Patience is sometimes the hardest part of changing our body safely. Nothing will get a person out of shape faster than an injury that sidelines them. My fourth tip is recovery. Most people serious about gaining muscle will avoid training the upper and lower body on the same day. Overtraining can actually hinder success by not allowing the muscle adequate recovery time to rebuild. Now, while it remains somewhat controversial, bodybuilders have noticed that the two possible exceptions to overtraining 
are the calves and the abdominals. Many believe that the calves and core recover faster than other muscle groups. Working out the core two to three times a week seems safe and effective. Achieving that six-pack may be difficult without such consistency, but in order for that six-pack to show, remember, the fat covering it must disappear. So you also can't ignore the dietary changes and the importance of burning calories with cardio. But if you lose the fat and notice that the abs are not coming in, you may need to increase the frequency and intensity of working the abdominal muscles. Now, bodybuilders and those looking to build more muscle often tend to directly work a muscle group only once a week. I know that's surprising. And while it seems like more and more sessions with the weights on the same muscle group would be the key to building muscle, it isn't. Muscle does not grow during weight training. It grows during the recuperation allowed on rest days. Overtrain a muscle group and you can stunt its growth. If you break down the muscle protein more than you allow the rebuilding of muscle protein, it halts hypertrophy. So does that mean most bodybuilders only lift weights a couple days a week? No. We usually lift about five to six days a week on average. The point is to do what is known as a split routine. Split the muscle groups into different days. There are lots of opinions of how to split the groups of muscle, and it usually takes trial and error to find what is best for you. So for example, my training split currently is as follows. On day one, I do my quadriceps and calves. Day two, I do shoulders, you know, the deltoids, trapezius, and I do light abdomen and core muscles. On day three, I do hamstrings, low back, thigh abductors, and adductors. On day four, I do biceps, triceps, and heavy abdomen. Day five, I just do chest muscles and calves. Day six, upper back, the latissimus dorsi, and light abdomen and core. In day seven, I either rest or do cardio. Now notice the only two muscles I directly work more than once a week are the abdominals and the calves. But the rest of the muscles, you take them to failure. I mean, you really do a workout on any one of those days. So if it's just biceps, triceps, and abdomen, or just a day of chest and calves, you're not there for 10 minutes. You're really doing lots of different sets, lots of different exercises, and we will need to get into that in the next lecture. So I will see you guys on the next round. This is Dr. Gil Parat. I'm out of here. Because it is my turn to go do the night shift. Ugh. All right. Adios, amigos.